Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources. This is Scott Simpson. I'm here with Kate Klunt, and we're filling in for Boyd today. And we're changing the channels in this segment just a little bit. We've spent the first bulk of the hour talking about the news of the day, the overturning of Roe v. Wade decision. But we're going to talk about an issue um, that also has pretty big impact across the country. It's um, infrastructure, <laughs> which is, you know. <laughs> Sounds so exciting. It's, it's, a, it's actually a like diffi- difficult word for my mouth to even form, infrastructure. But, uh, you know, I worked in Washington 20 some odd years ago. And I have it, when you think about this and, and you I, as I was hearing about the bipartisan infrastructure bill you know that was pushed out as part of kind of a stimulus covid recovery energy you know um, mm-hmm. a year or so ago um, I, I kept thinking about all of the problems the sounds the fact that it passed was kind of miraculous but the actual implementation of that bill is really complex and from a legislative perspective most of these infrastructure projects first have to be authorized. By Congress, they have they they have these authorization bills where a transportation committee will actually do, look at a decade's worth of projects and sort of authorize whether or not they're going to fund them to begin with. That doesn't mean they write the check. That comes later when an appropriations subcommittee actually writes the check to have that come. So there's a really high bar to get over to do anything related to you know big infrastructure projects that uh, Congress has already sort of authorized and sent down the stream, and that doesn't even contemplate. The reality on the ground, right? We we have problems here in the construction world. Yeah, and materials, people, and it's so easy for me to drive and complain because I know so little about that infrastructure process. I think that the last time I thought about any of that, I was playing like Sim City yeah. on my computer or something. Well, so you're classically trained then in yeah. infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, City. I'm fully qualified. Um, but I I do think it, it is fascinating that this is something that politicians use often to sell something to their constituents, right? Like, for sure. I got funding for this road in our district, or I got funding for this bridge in our district. And it's really important to constituents, right? Because we feel like they've done something special for us, but then we have no concept of how the process goes and, and whether or not it will actually get done. And Eli Dorado from USU's Center for Growth and Opportunity said that during 2020, and even before, lawmakers believed that they could borrow more money during times of low interest rates. But when, you know, that opportunity presented itself, they didn't think about state capacity and what it would take to complete those projects. There was this period at the beginning of the pandemic, also a little bit to a lesser extent in 2012 or so, where real interest rates were negative, which means that the the interest rate was lower than the expected inflation over, over the next 10 or 30 years. And so the idea was, hey, we can borrow this money. And, you know, even even if we make our, our interest payments and then pay it off at the end, if you adjust it for inflation, we'd be paying back less than we than we borrowed. So this is a great time, they thought, to to you know, to borrow money and to uh, invest in infrastructure. And and really, the problem is that they were focused exclusively on that on that sort of financial equation and not actually thinking more fundamentally about their ability 
to sort of effectively effectively build infrastructure to do it at a reasonable cost and and you know reasonable time frame and with high quality. So Kate Eli here is suggesting that legislature was perhaps or, or Congress you know policymakers are somehow short sighted or didn't do all of the calculations. When... Well, I think they're just a little too excited. Yeah. Right. They've jumped the gun. Lots of exuberance. Just a tiny bit. Well, even here, I think we, there are some examples potentially that we could point to. I'm, I live in Davis County. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Hooper. My, my parents still live there. And so I travel to Hooper on occasion. And it's really difficult to get to Hooper. As things have grown, it was always kind of a challenge. Like I, I, it's, I'm surprised I was even capable of leaving the community because of the distance. You Is that know? intentional? No, yeah. Yeah. We're the we prefer to be a little fortress out there, but it's just difficult to get there. And so, you know, I've been watching with interest the West Davis Corridor, uh, you know, this pro- yeah. project that now is underway heading heading north. And I've, I've you know, the legislature initially um, had funded all the way to Hooper, actually, right to a place called Pig Corner. It's a long story. I can tell you later, but um, all the way to Pig Corner. And then COVID hits and they immediately call themselves into session and start tightening the belt, right? Which I appreciate as a conservative and they shortened it. Um, but now I'm, what I'm watching is the pace of that has really slowed. And, uh, and I think it's because of capacity. They, they're cement powder. They're being rationed. You know, the, they can only take each contractor can only take so much concrete because they have to share it around. It, it's just interesting to see how, even though we have had, fairly um, full coffers to be able to pay for some pretty significant infrastructure project, the pace of those has just been declining dramatically. Yeah, it is kind of incredible how these projects tend to take more and more time. And Eli went on to say that English-speaking countries especially have poor state capacity. So it's just an us problem, it sounds like. In New York, they're they're sort of expanding the subway system, and it costs about $4 billion dollars per new kilometer of uh, tunnel. And in Europe, they do that about 20 times cheaper, about $200 million per kilometer. So it's, it's not a small difference in the effectiveness of these governments. 20-fold difference in costs. Okay, what so are we doing wrong, what, To what do you attribute that? I, I'm trying to figure out, um, I, you know, I obviously labor. I wonder, I wonder about the labor union uh, circumstance in New York. Sure. Uh, they got a lot of water there. I, I, it's there's probably some there might be some geologic complications to that, but that's a huge difference. Twenty times less expensive to put in a subway in Europe than it is here. Yeah, when people tell me that you know when the government does something, it tends to be more expensive and less efficient. I always believe them, but twenty times does seem a little nuts. Um, my guess is that you know European countries have had a history of embracing transit in a way that our country has not, right? Like we have just, we've kind of, we've grown out West. We do a lot with roads. We do a lot less with trains and and things like that. And so maybe that has something to do with it. We don't do it as often. And so we're not quite, we haven't streamlined that process. Lee, uh, Eli here is, let's see if he can tell us if we've got something to learn from Europe. You know, environmental organizations have been mostly against building new things uh, for a long time. But to, to, you know, if we're going to decarbonize the country and, and sort of build new, new batteries and, and build new kinds of uh, high-speed rail and, and all other kinds of things that we would do to decarbonize. Like that is a lot of building and we're not going to be able to afford it if we're paying 
10 or 20 times more than we should. So we need to find new, you know, the, the more effective ways of doing things so that those costs can come down. Kate, are you are you ready for a subway here? Uh, I don't know about a subway, but we don't have a ton of time to talk about this, but he mentions in his New York Times article, which I would recommend that you guys look up, that we've lost the ability to inconvenience people, and then that's necessary for building infrastructure. And I think about how annoyed I get on the I-15 <laughs> when I'm inconvenienced, and I, I'm going to try really hard to do better to remind myself that this is something that has to be done for the good of my future commute and the good of the future growth of this state. Yeah, it, there's. I, I guess we're used to immediacy, and you know we are able to... I, I guess maybe Europeans are more patient. I'm not sure I ever believed that, but maybe that's the difference is we we just are unwilling to sort of get out of the way maybe and let uh, efficiency work in government. (laughs) Well, there's been a lot of talk on the Dobbs decision today, and we're going to come back to it and what it actually does. We'll talk about it next with constitutional lawyer Bill Duncan and Georgetown University's Fred Lawrence next. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on any smart speaker and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, Utah's all day companion for news. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.